Good morning. Good to see you. We're going to dive into Psalms over the next, kind of this term, in and out. There's lots of other sort of things happening, but we're going to kind of have a, a, a theme that we're going to keep coming back to, looking at the Psalms, looking at authentic humanity. Um, what can the Psalms teach us? And the, the answer is a lot. Um, I love the Psalms. I love the way that they... Um, they express and they acknowledge and they embrace all that is to be human. You know, we've talked over the last few weeks about actually not despising our humanity, being okay with that. Um, and the Psalms do a great job at that, you know, expressing the highs, the lows, our victories, our success, our challenge. But at the same time, absolutely holding firm and, and being held fast by this unchanging God who never changes, who is eternally good, kind, loving and sovereign. So a lot of the Psalms are about us, like they are about our humanity, um, and David and the other writers do just, they're amazingly real, in a, in a really raw honesty. This is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling. I'm not going to dress it up. This is how it is, um, which is beautiful. But as, just as much, if not more, in the Psalms are actually songs of praise. They're about God. Um, they're about extolling and declaring his greatness, his goodness, and his power and his love. So we see these, these two threads through the Psalms, um, which is they give us the permission to be absolutely real before God, not having to dress it up, like just being real before him and acknowledge who we are and where we're at. But at the same time, they give us that gentle reminder and provocation that it's really not all about us um, and actually that we need to, yes, be real before God, but stay right before him and acknowledging who he is before we do anything else. That makes sense. And so today I want to talk from um, Psalm 8. I want to talk about position and perspective. You know, like Ben was sharing about actually having the right perspective on the good, the bad, and everything in between. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be in Psalm 8. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Father, we want to thank you that you are king. Thank you that you're good, that you're kind, that you're faithful, um, and that, Jesus, you absolutely are on the throne. Um, so I pray that you'd come and encourage us with your truth. Speak your words of life this morning, I ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, let me read for you. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea and all that swims in the path of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So I think to be authentically human and healthily human, to be able to experience life in all its fullness, which is what Jesus came for us to have, it is essential that we are right in our position before God, right? The only way I'm going to be able to have the right perspective on what's going on is if I first acknowledge this God who is absolutely firmly on the throne. I need to have the correct position in order then to have the right perspective. Make sense? And this is what David's doing. This is what the psalm writers do all the way through the psalms. He, they um constantly look up and remind themselves and speak out again, this is who God is, this is what he's done, this is what he's like. So this is what David is doing in verses 1 to 3. Um, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. You've set your glory in the heavens. And, then he, and he looks to creation. You know, so much in Psalms is looking at creation. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've set in place. See, like he's, his perspective is shifting and he's reminding himself of this very 
great God, um, who he is and what he's done. And, you know, if we say, listen, there is so much for us to crack open and learn from the Psalms, I would say this, listen, lesson 101 is that he is God and we're not. Like that needs to be in place right before we do anything else. So, you know, the Psalms are constantly full of these songs of praise declaring God is king and he is on the throne. You know, and I think it's really important that we, we grab hold of and we, and we keep focused on the, the sovereignty of God. Um, you know, throughout the Bible, it's, it's full. It says, you know, he sits on the throne. Psalm 115 says, he can do just as he wishes. He can do as he pleases. It says, he's the potter and we're the clay. Right? And, it, and listen, in, in the kind of days that we're living in, which I love, where you know, we're getting this deep revelation of actually being deeply loved sons and daughters, and I'm so thankful. to you know, I spent the first 25-plus years of my Christian life being stunned that I was saved and forgiven, that I was justified before God with no grid whatsoever for the fact that actually there's even more beyond that and there's I'm adopted as a daughter. Like I, I never want to take away from that. But as it's absolutely right that we press in to know him as father, but it's really important that we remember he is also sovereign, almighty, and judge, and king, and father. He's all those things. You know, our God is still a consuming fire. And so, Psalms are so helpful in, in bringing our focus back to that and actually helping each one of us have a healthy fear of the Lord, which is, is really important. Um, and listen, a fear of the Lord, and I hope you know, it is nothing to do with being frightened. Like, it, it isn't that. Um, the Nelson Study Bible de, um, defines it like this. The fear of God is an attitude of respect, a response of reverence and wonder. It is the only appropriate response to our creator and redeemer. Right? The only correct response to almighty creator God, to Jesus, this victorious king who's paid the price for us, the only response is one of reverence and wonder. And we must not ever fall away from that into sort of presumption and familiarity. And I mean, God's in my pocket if I need him. Like, that's not okay. And, and I think there's, there's a danger if we, if we only embrace him Father, and we forget that he's also sovereign, there's a, there's a risk that we could end up doing that. Um, but the fear of the Lord is really important, right? Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. Okay, so if I want to have life in all its fullness, if I want to build well, if I want to build my life, my marriage, my family, this church for, you know, for the dist- I want to go for the long haul. Like I'm here in the long haul and I want, to, I want to see the things that I put my hand to actually affect my children and my children's children. If I want to build life and do life like that, the fear of the Lord is, is building block number one, right? Having that response of reverence, of wonder to this almighty sovereign God and my position before him, then my perspective on everything else is going to be okay. Listen to, let me read you some of the other things that the Bible says about the fear of the Lord. Now, I haven't put all the references up, I'm not, but these are literally chapter and verse. This is what the Bible says. I can give you them later if you want to check. But it says this, fear of the Lord prolongs life. The fear of, fear of the Lord is a key to the rich store of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Fear of the Lord is for our good always and for our survival. God's goodness is stored up for those who fear him and the rewards of the fear of the Lord are riches, honour and life. The Bible tells us that the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and his salvation is near to those who fear him. It says he will fulfil the desires of their heart, he will hear their cries and he will save those who fear him. 
right? It's, the fear of the Lord is really important and it's like it's really good for us, right? That, that needs to be part of how you and I are doing life and building life. And it starts with this, this awareness of how big God is and how small we are, but how good he is. Um, it's just this awareness of this big God. So Psalm 36, it says, talks about God's love that reaches to the heavens, his faithfulness that reaches to the skies. His righteousness is like the highest of mountains and his justice like the deepest of seas. Like the, we need to have this perspective of the scale of God and his character. And that he's, like, he's God and we're not. Like, we have to have this awareness of, of who he is and, and who we're not. And Isaiah 55 tells us, you know, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Like you and I are not God, but he absolutely is. And so we need to be in that right position with that healthy fear of the Lord, that our position must be reverence and wonder to who God is and what he's done, right? Lesson 101. And from that place, we can have the correct perspective, right? I'm going to chuck some photos up behind me that just make this point that, listen, perspective is everything, right? It really matters. There are tons of these um, all over the internet, and there's ones with people like leaning up the Tower of Pisa, and, and people have got way too much time on their hands. But some of these ones, they, they give us this idea of, listen, we need to make sure we've got stuff in the proper perspective. And I think the danger is for you and I, if, if we drift from recognising God is a sovereign God then everything else is out of proportion. So, so little things like a golf ball become huge, become insurmountable, this massive thing that I can't possibly get past. Well, actually, in that photo, it's like just, I mean, if you take a step back, I mean, like it's, it's a golf ball just on your way. But the reverse is also true. Yes, we can have like situations and stuff that seems, it seems huge when actually it's like, no, in the perspective of a sovereign God, it's nothing. But also it, it keeps us from sliding into a, a permissiveness and, you know, the danger of a hyper-grace message that, you know, I'm saved by grace through nothing that I've done and I'm loved and I'm cherished and all those things are absolutely true. But we can slide into thinking, I'm kind of a big deal and I am absolutely on the throne of my life. I am the master of my own destiny or mistress, right? No, I'm not and nor are you. We are entirely dependent. So it's like that one with the, um, this one, you know, Oh, the Eiffel Tower is just like this. We can have, if we have a wrong view of God, it's like there's this little Sarah-sized God that I'll put in my pocket and, you know, maybe come back. It's like really not okay. He is a sovereign God and we need to be humble before him. So Psalms help us keep things in the proper perspective, the right view and perspective of who God is, but also the right view and perspective on, on us, on our humanity. And so this is where, the, in Psalm 8, this is where the, David moves. He, he starts talking about the majesty of God, who's this glory in the heavens. And he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, looking at creation and, and this understanding of this glorious creator God, he moves on. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Now, if that Psalm, psalm stopped there... It almost, it, you could hear that and, and it would be possible to hear that as, well, who do you think you are? And, and on one level, who do I think I am? Like on one level, yes, that is, a, that is a right way of thinking. But it's absolutely not in this understanding and focus on God's sovereignty. It's absolutely not that we should be sort of groveling around on our hands and knees. You know, I'm so worthless. I'm so insignificant. Like, no, 
That's, that's not, because the psalm goes on. You have made them humans. You've made them a little lower than the angels. Crown them with glory and honour. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. You've put everything under their feet. So yes, there is this creator, almighty God, and then there's just me, but I have been crowned with glory and honour, and so have you. I have been made to rule and to reign. Like that's the, that was the first commission over humanity in the Garden of Eden, that you would rule over the earth. And Paul revisits it in, in Romans 5. He says we're to reign in life with Jesus. So like there's, we, we can't afford to be wasting time grovelling around on our hands and knees, you know, poor insignificant Sarah. Like that's not it. We are co-heirs with Jesus. We are seated with him in heavenly places. So in saying Jesus is sovereign and in highlighting God's sovereignty, that absolutely not, it, that does not devalue your humanity. It's really important we get hold of that. Highlighting God's sovereignty does not devalue our humanity. Actually, it affirms my value because this, this sovereign, almighty God who set the heavens in place, stepped into my world, cares enough about me to die for me, to forgive me, to embrace me, to speak to me, to have plans for me, to know how many hairs are on my head. Not, like, we have to understand this sovereign God. And if, the, if Jesus coming to earth tells us anything, it's, it reinforces the sovereignty of God, but his deep value for humanity because he stepped into, he left his throne to step into our world to bring us home. So declaring God's goodness, his nature, his power, focusing on him as sovereign in the midst of struggle, in the midst of success is the only way to walk healthy. Um, and, this is what, and that's what I love about the Psalms is that that's what they do all the time. So in struggle, you know, there's lots of the Psalms um, where David particularly is railing against God. You know, where are you? Why are you forsaking me? How long? Like he's not dressing it up. And I love that God's put that in the Bible. He's like, actually, I'm okay with you guys being real. You don't have to dress it up. But to say, listen, we need to, at points, for that proper perspective, you know, the golf ball one, we have to take a step back and look up. Psalm 121, right? I lift my eyes up to the heavens. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. So he's okay with this situation right here, right? But in, in saying that, we do that in moments of struggle or pressure or trial. That is not about belittling or denying what they feel like, right? So please don't hear what I'm not saying. Like I'm not saying we, do, we belittle those things, but it's actually, it's saying, what does it look like for me to, from a right position, have that perspective check where in struggle, I focus on the one who sustains me, the one who delivers me from trial, who restores all things to me. That's my focus. So my, my, you know, my problems, my difficulties, situations that are painful from my past, they have a proper perspective when compared to this good and glorious God. But that isn't by saying, I'm not in any way saying that doesn't matter. Right? And, it, and you look at the Bible, that's not what it says. Now, God says, I will never despise your struggles. It's just the comparison. So this is what Dave, uh, Paul was going after um, in Romans 8, where he says, where, you, know, I can, you know, the struggles of this world is like compared to, they're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, that's, you can hear that if you're in a pity party. You can hear that as your stuff doesn't matter, kind of suck it up and get on. But that's not what it's saying. 
Like actually we weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. We acknowledge grief and pain and loss. Absolutely. But in comparison with this great glory from this sovereign God, like they just don't come close. It's having that perspective check. Um, but likewise in our success, listen, sometimes that's, sometimes that's a time when it's almost more dangerous where we're, you know, actually life's going all right and we can kind of kid ourselves that, yeah, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm kind of doing, I've got this thing down. I'm doing all right. Um, and I forget actually you know, my total dependency on God. Actually, apart from him, I can do nothing. I can like to think I can, and for a few weeks, and then I'm like, hang on a minute, I can't. Keeps us humble and reminds us of our dependency on a sovereign God. And that's what Psalms are so helpful in doing. They give us that you know, slight smack around the face if we're ending up either in this kind of, I'm a big deal and I've got this whole thing down, or equally, you know, this, this situation is so enormous and God can't possibly do it. Like, no, it, it just brings us back to remind us, acknowledge who God is and acknowledge who we are. And they help us walk in, I think one of the trickiest tensions walking with Jesus is this understanding that you and I need to walk as the poor in spirit, right? In the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, the first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? That's the truth. The way into the kingdom is, is that poverty of spirit. The New Living Translation translates it as, blessed are those who recognize their need of God, that's the way into kingdom. That's the only way onto the kingdom. Constant recognition of my need of God and my dependence on him and he's sovereign. But absolutely what we're not to do is to walk around with a poverty mindset of orphans. That, like they're not the same thing. Having, being the poor in spirit but not having a poverty mindset, oh, poor, you know, insignificant Sarah, you know, counts for nothing, influences nothing, no one, like... We have not got time to be messing around with that. That's not who we are. We're called to be sons and daughters. So we have to understand I'm not an orphan. I'm not a slave. I'm a child and I'm an heir, but I am fully dependent on God and his sovereignty. That's the tension. That's the perspective we need to have continually. And it's, you, it's a tension, right? You get it. 1 Timothy 6, 5, uh, 15 I want to read two things that Paul wrote, which seemingly, like, how do these things line up? But I think they perfectly express this, this dynamic of how we walk without a poverty mindset, but as those poor in spirit, recognising our ongoing need for God. So in 1 Timothy 6, he says this, he talks about God, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. Talking about a sovereign God. God is just as sovereign in the new covenant as he is in the old, right? Let's make sure we don't get that wrong. But then he also says, Hebrews 4.16, which we've looked at over the last few weeks, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's, guys, that is the paradox of following Jesus. The blessed and only sovereign who lives in unapproachable light says, hey, Sarah, come near with confidence. I want to help you. Like, I can't get my head around that. But we have to hold on to both those things. This huge, eternal God and just me. You know, one of seven billion people walking the planet right now, but actually he knows and he cares and he sees and he hears me. This eternal God who has always been and will ever be and, and me, my brief moment in history, you know, the 
three score years and ten, although I'm planning to live to 100. So I, the century that I'm going to be walking this earth, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not such a big deal. In the grand scheme of eternity, and yet I am called to be an ambassador for Jesus, right? He says he has good plans for my life. So we have to hold these tensions and press in to know this God who is is an all-consuming fire. He is the name above all names. God is sovereign. But he's Father, who calls me by name, who calls me the apple of his eye, and who knows every single thing about me. We need to understand this sovereign, almighty creator of all things chooses to know me and allow us to know him, who calls us friend. I mean, how that messes with my head. But Listen, his kindness, his mercy, his patience, his gentleness towards us doesn't and we mustn't allow it in our perspective to dilute or take away from his power, his might and his sovereignty. He's still sovereign. And that is the joy of following Jesus. This this paradoxical tension of a really big God and really little humans, but we're loved beyond measure and called to greatness. Welcome to the kingdom. This is where we live. This is what we're called to do. And so authentic humanity, you know, for you and I to be the best version of ourselves, we're only going to be able to do that when we have the clearest view, first and foremost, of who God is. If we haven't got that bit in place, every self, you know, all the self-help books in the world are not going to help you at all. There is a God-shaped hole. He's set eternity in the hearts of men. So if the great question I think humanity is often asking is, well, who am I? Who am I and what am I here for? That question cannot be answered without first knowing who he is. That's the primary question that needs answering. And our confession is who he is. And from that place, that certainty of who we are and what we're here for, that stuff will line up. This is what I think, I'm going to finish with this. This is what I think we see in Peter's confession of faith. Um, I love this episode where... It's in Matthew 16, and, and the disciples come back to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, people are saying you're all sorts of everybody. Um, and Jesus says to them, well, who do you say I am? And Peter um, steps forward and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He makes this, that his position, his perspective is, this is who you are, right? And it's right. It's this revelation, this, de- like, this is who Jesus is. And I love Jesus' response, you know, in, in his sovereignty, like, and this is, and Jesus perfectly models the Father, right? So this is what God's like. And when we say, God, you are sovereign, you are almighty, Jesus doesn't just say, yes, I am, and on with his day. Like he stops and looks straight back at Peter and says, yes, and you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. It's, that is beautiful. Actually, in our, in our points of, of acknowledging who God is, is that we can li- he wants to lean into us and remind us of who we are. And so, if, you know, actually that, that position, you know, on my knees, humbly before God, that is the place where I am most going to know my value. I was thinking about this during the week. Um, you know, we, I, kinda, I grew up in the Anglican church. Um, we had those kneeler things that, old ladies over the decades had kind of done tapestry on and all the rest of it. And, and at points that actually we'd be encouraged to kneel. Um, and we've kind of, kind of shifted away from that in lots of ways, haven't we? But I'm like, do you know what? Sometimes actually physically taking up a position is really powerful. And it's that reminder, I am, I'm kneeling before a sovereign God who is an all-consuming fire. And yet 
So, but, again, but that's not me kneeling in a kind of cowering, I'm so unworthy, you know, he can't even look at me. It's not that. That is poverty, orphan-minded thinking. That's not for you and I anymore. But listen, that place on our knees is where you're most going to know your value, your purpose, your destiny. Humbly positioning yourself before an almighty God who wants to lean in and out of your confession of this is who you are, Jesus, he wants to lean in and say, yeah, this is who you are. This is what I'm calling you to. This is how much I love you. Like, that's the journey. That is the kingdom. And so for, for us to know who we are and what we're here for, it has to start with that acknowledgement and confession of who he is. First things first, we position ourselves before this sovereign God. And so, listen, we're going to navigate life best. We're going to have life in all its fullness best when we fully acknowledge this sovereign, almighty God who's absolutely on the throne. And we get the delight, the, the privilege to be those people in this day and this age who bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. What a privilege. Would you stand? I must pray for one another.